Hello and uh, welcome to this week's Test Podcast. My name's Martin George. I'm joined by Adi Bloom. Hi, Adi. Hello. Helen Ward. Hi, Helen. Hi. And Dave Speck. Hi, Dave. Hello. So, big week for primary schools this week. Um, uh, they've got their SATS results for this year. Um, Helen, talk us through the, the main headlines. The uh, headline result was that they went up slightly, 65% of children getting reading, writing and maths at the expected standard this year compared to 64% last year. Um, within that, the uh, reading results went down slightly, 75 to 73. Maths went up from 75 to 79 and grammar spelling and punctuation spag stayed about the same so um and i think writing was about the same i haven't got that here to hand but um yeah so people will be the results kind of are dropped on schools at 7 30 in the morning on tuesday everyone's sitting nervously at their computers waiting to log on to a website everyone at once means there's way some people on twitter going can you get on the site can you? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and uh and then you know kind of day goes on and the schools will have, it's not over, because they now have a couple of weeks to look through all the results and come back and they're marking and there's already been some people talking about kind of, you know, whether some of the answers are quite fair and um, that goes on for another couple of weeks and then the final results will be out in December after all the kind of appeals and everything's gone through, but I'm sure for year six pupils, as they get their results, that's it, they're off into the summer, into secondary school. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the teachers will be will be lumbered with them still. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Now, I mean, like in some years we've had there have been sort of controversies at this point with you know, you know, really really surprising results or whatever. I think we haven't really had that sort of no no this year, have we? No, uh, no. It seems to have all gone pretty smoothly this year. And the nearest thing to controversy was that um, there was a rather tricky question in the maths test. And one of the maths there's three different maths papers. One of the maths papers. It's like a kind of uh, a grid kind of rectangle and children were asked to use two lines to turn this into three shapes, uh, which did puzzle a lot of children, puzzled me when I saw it. And uh, Helen was a maths degree, <laughs> is this right? Yeah. Yes, although I was because I was thinking two lines would have to totally bisect the rectangle and the answer was you just do one and then one little one to kind of make it. Um, but as I was saying, the point is it's only worth one mark and a lot of children were kind of like, huh? You know, it wasn't that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do it outside of test conditions or, but, you know, you're in the test. And it's like two lines, three shapes now, yep. you know, it was that kind of. When the threshold scores came out, um, this is the score that you need. The scores are, conver the raw scores that you get in your paper um, are converted into what they call scaled scores. So every year the, the scaled score pass mark is 100, but the actual number of marks you need to get that 100 is slightly different each year. They had gone down this year for maths, which does give the impression that yes, maybe they, aren't, they were seen as a bit trickier. So there's, there's teachers who were saying, you know, in May, God, maths was hard this year. That seems to have been recognised by... By the threshold then being yeah. lowered, yeah. yeah. So. Great. Now, sort of taking a step back from this year's immediate results, um, Dave, we've had a, a, a union um, ballot about um, opposition to, to the SATS well, testing system. Well, well, that's right. On the same day that the SATS results came out, the, the NEU teaching union um, released its results of its indicative ballot uh, into, it, into the SATS. And it, it says there's been a ringing endorsement to end um, 
to, to, to support his campaign to end SATs, basically. And um, w w what it says is that more than 50,000 primary teachers and support staff, which is 97% of the, of the turnout, said they would support its campaign against SATs. Um, but we learned that the ballot also contained a second question about whether they would specifically support a boycott of the SATs. And the NEU said that it's not going to publish the results of that question until after this Saturday when its national executive will consider the results. Um, but if you, if you do look at the turnout, um, the, the, the 54,000 who turned out um, represents only 39% of the union's primary school membership. Um, and that, under union rules, wouldn't be enough for a, if it was a formal ballot to, to, um, to go ahead with a boycott of SATs. Um, and, and, and this is because of the sort of the, the fairly recent government legislation isn't yes, it, that, yeah. that makes it harder for lots of unions to get strike action, industrial action passed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they need fifty percent uh, turnout, and they need forty percent of that turnout to vote yes. So it's it's more more difficult now to get industrial action off the ground. But um, school standards minister Nick Gibb picked up on this. He was very quick to put out a statement. Um, to to, to um, highlight that the NEU's indicative ballot does not even represent half their members, uh, let alone the teaching profession as a whole, and he he kind of sticks up for stats and he says that you know they've been part of school life since the 90s and they've been pivotal pivotal in raising standards, um, and that they help to ensure kids leave school with a grasp of the fundamentals basically, um, which help them in secondary school and beyond and he says abolishing these te these tests would be a terrible retrograde step because that, I mean, and that's been a big political debate the past few months hasn't it because Jeremy Corbyn came out and saying Labour's policy would be to get rid of SATs Absolutely. Um, with, you yeah. know, dismissing all those things that uh, Nick Gibb was saying um, now Helen we had a bit of research this week um, looking at I think it was key stage one SATs um, but looking at the fears or, or or concerns perhaps that teacher assessment is slightly easier on children than the formal SATs assessments. Yeah, this was, uh, look, I'm going through my, my pages and pages of stuff that we've written on, on SATs. This is actually a story by uh, one of my colleagues, Catherine Luff. Um, and this was showing, as you say, that at key stage one, where you have teacher assessment, um, you, you have to do tests. The statutory tests, but they're not done um, in quite the same kind of test conditions as um, the key stage two tests. And then the test results are read, are kind of fed into teacher assessment, which is what's reported. And this study um, was um, Fisher Family Trust data that they'd used, and they found that 76% um, of pupils were assessed as having met the expected standards in reading. Um, by their teachers, but 70% measured as having achieved this by their SATs test. So showing does appear to show that the teacher assessment was slightly more generous. That's kind of significant because it, it, one of the things that we know Labour's looking at to potentially replace SATs would be some form of teacher assessment mm. in there. So this sort of, you know, it, it, that, that could be significant for that sort of wider debate. It's interesting though because the, it's it's very difficult to say which one is more reliable than the other? You sure. could say, well, there, there is no right answer. Maybe the teacher assessment is actually showing that children, at, you know, children over time, that this is what their reading is like, and the test is only looking at 
a one hour slot in May, maybe the teacher assessment would be better. But there have been previous studies which do raise concerns about unconscious bias in in teacher assessment in terms of black children or you know children who are seen as having you know being more challenging to the teacher in some way all sorts of things that can come in and show that those children seem to do better on tests than than um, teacher assessment so it is a kind of ongoing debate I think uh, maybe a mixture maybe the way forward I think We'll see. I mean, and staying with sort of primary assessment, um, there's a story I did this week about the um, times tables check, which the government wants to bring in, or is bringing in, for, I think it's year four, isn't it? Yeah, year four, yeah. Um, there were some trials of it this year, and I heard from a maths consultant at a conference saying that um, uh, it started to distort the way that teachers are teaching the curriculum, because they're thinking, we've got this times tables check, we're going to have our kids sitting in front of computers with six seconds to answer each of 25 questions and so they've been teaching to that skill and that discipline rather than the, the, the wider curriculum so yeah, yeah. concerns already that that a new test that's coming in could be having some unintended yeah. effects I, m- I must admit it hasn't been very popular in the maths community the uh, the idea of the times tables check that's part of the reason because it's like well if you've only got so much time what is the most valuable thing you could be doing with that time and they're not times tables I do not come across anyone who says you don't need you know you don't need to know your times tables it's very valuable to know them but whether spending a lot of time going over and over them again in in order to be able to hit this kind of high pressure type thing is the most valuable way. actually there's, there's one mass consultant at this conference who said she tried to do the test herself and she knows her times tables but yet she scored 22 out of 25 and she yeah. said it was just this sort of panic took over when she was at the keyboard, the seconds were counting down, and she had to find the right buttons to press. Yeah. So, yeah, debate there, clearly. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, Adi, um, you've got an a important but quite sombre piece in the magazine this week, um, looking at um, how schools cope when there's a bereavement in the school community. Yes. Um, there's obviously a range of different types of bereavements that can affect people in schools. There are, there are those that are personal, so when a child ha- loses parent or a close family member and then there are bereavements that affect the entire school community for example when <coughs> excuse me when a, a pupil dies or when a teacher dies um, and it's looking at, at, at how how to deal with that as a as a school community and or as within school um, and it's about largely it's about communication but it's also about communicating at the right times I think that was what struck me the most is that certainly for one thing that came up a lot was that for children who lose a parent people tend to assume that that time heals but there was one she was now 20 but she lost her mother when she was nine and and she said where did this come from where did this idea come from that somehow the pain of, of, of losing a parent becomes less when as as you move further away, she said the hardest time she found was when she was in year 10. And everyone was saying, well, you should be over it by now. It was ages ago. And she said, no, but your grief grows with you. The grief you feel at the age of nine is not the same as the grief you feel at the age of 15 or at the age of 20. And that there isn't space for... So, well, partly not everyone understands it. And partly people don't know. If, if something happens at primary school, you can have every single teacher in the school incredibly aware of this. Everyone 
doing everything they should and, and can do for this child, then they go off to secondary school and no one knows. Yeah. And no one thinks to mention it. And then this child, no, just nothing is, there are no considerations around this. Um, but then the other thing that sort of similarly surprised me in terms of timing was that people were talking about when, for example, a teacher or a pupil dies, that often it's, it's obviously you have to let everyone know right away, but in terms of having some sort of assembly or something commonly to mark what's happened, it's often best not to hold an assembly immediately. And one head teacher I spoke to said that just when her deputy died very suddenly in a car accident, and she said if she the the death happened it was on it was on a Sunday, and she said if she'd held an assembly on the Monday, been five hundred pupils, all the staff members, all this unprocessed grief, it would have just been too much. It yeah. would have been hysterical. Where she said by the Tuesday. She was much more controlled. She was much better able to to direct it in a way that was helpful for everyone, and so she said that would be her stand-up recommendation: is don't rush into anything. Takes don't feel the need to notify everyone immediately, of course, but take some time to to process it before trying to help children through it. I was struck by just how 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 many children can be in this situation. There's a stat here, isn't there, that um, by the age of eighteen. 41,000 children born in the UK have lost a parent. Yes, and that's, uh, that it equates to one child in every, every class who will have ex uh, experienced a significant bereavement by the end of secondary school. Yeah, so it's, it's a, every teacher will be coming across this in one form or another and really yes, you know, absolutely. wants that help and advice. Yes, yes. And, and, and one of the things that, that came up was actually you don't have to, it's not about, well, it's, it's as bad to force a child to talk about something they don't want to talk about as, as not to talk about it at all. But just let them know that you are there and that if they do want to talk. I mean, one, there was one story I was told that by a, a teacher who every, every year on the anniversary of, there was a boy who'd lost his mother, and every year on the anniversary of her death, she would just say, I'm here if you want to talk. And he didn't, but she kept saying it. And when the boy left the school, he came and brought her a big bunch of flowers and said, that really helped just knowing that you were there yeah and sometimes that's that's enough just knowing that that people other people remember and other people are marking it and actually it was very interesting that the 20 year old I spoke to who'd lost her mother when she was nine I actually ended up speaking to her on the day that her mother had died on the anniversary and I'd said you know, she, she doesn't have to talk today we can speak another day but she was it was very important to her to talk about it, on, it that on that day, day. Um, and it felt like something she could do um, and it's just knowing things like that, that and, and helping someone, to, helping people to express it in a way that's helpful to them. I think there's a, a really useful um, sort of panel you have in the article about some of the the ideas of how to support um, people when there's been you know, a bereavement and sort of sensitivities about things like Father's Days or Mother's Days or if the class are making Mother's Day cards and a pupil has perhaps lost their mother. It's sort of just been communicating about that and, and considerate and sort of asking the pupil how, you know, how should we approach this with you do you want to do this or that or something else yes yes and actually and again this this pupil I, former pupil I spoke to said that they'd actually her father had gone in and said she this wasn't this wasn't the school she was at she moved schools a lot so she was at a different school from the school where she'd been when her mother had died but it was only a year later and her father had gone in and said she doesn't want to you know, she'd please be careful around Mother's Day, she doesn't want to make a card, and they just ignored it, and, and, and she'd had to make this card. And yes, it's, it's just about being aware, and, and, and again, speaking to the 
pupil and some some pupils will want to make a card and will want to put it on the parents grave some pupils won't want to but you'd, you'd, you'd hope that nowadays when a lot of families families take very different forms that mm. this is something that maybe now more than 10 years ago when when this this person I spoke to was was a child that parent that teachers are more aware of this and would bear all of those sensitivities in mind anyway yeah you certainly hope so um, well I mean I'd recommend you know, listeners read the, the full piece in the magazine this week um, thank you very much for listening um, talk next week mm-hmm.